Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. about whiskey is that no two whiskeys are alike. It goes without saying that knowing the basics is essential. Seriously, what is whiskey? How is whiskey made? What's the deal with the different spelling and the many variations of whiskey? On this week's episode, downtown LA's bar jackalope manager Stephanie gives us a whiskey 101 crash course. Let us go to that conversation and see what Stephanie has to say. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Romeo, your host of Whiskey Sex Talk. I'm here with Stephanie, bar manager of Bar Jackalope. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I'm stoked to be here. I'm excited. And by the way, thank you so much for uh, bringing a bottle of, 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 of this amazing whiskey, yeah. or bourbon, actually, to be correct. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, if it's Whiskey Sex Talk, why why wouldn't we be drinking some whiskey right now? I know. <laughs> that was very nice of you, by the way, to do that. I mean, it's, a, it's I like to consider it an afternoon bourbon, since it is two o'clock here. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, um, something super light and approachable. Um, Basil Hayden is like, a, it's a high rye bourbon. Uh, it's usually when people want to start getting into whiskeys and stuff, this is something that's super approachable. So if you're just getting into bourbons out there, Basil Hayden should be your first choice wow. as a recommendation. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. This is really amazing. So before we begin, I just want to ask you, can you just tell us a little bit about your professional background before we begin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been working in downtown Los Angeles for about six years now, uh-huh. um, working specifically at a Bar Jackalope and Seven Grand for about five. Okay. You know, when people go into the hospitality industry, they kind of stumble upon it. Some people, um, some people really just want to follow that, but a lot of people stumble upon it because, you know, when you're a college graduate and, you know, you have student loans to pay, you're kind of romanced by the hospitality industry True. because you get that immediate, you know, instant gratification from getting cash tips in your hand. So I kind of stumbled upon seven grand all those years ago. And, you know, I did a lot of things in between. I worked in the, I worked in the film industry. I worked at an agency. I worked on a studio lot, but I just kept coming back to the bar and I'm Latina. So it's like a big part of my uh, culture is entertaining and hosting. Nice. And it's something that I love doing naturally. Like ever since I was a little kid, you know, like my family, like having just like every single Saturday and Sunday, it's like we're have we're hosting people, we're hosting people, we're hosting people. So it's something that comes natural to me, and I'm an extrovert as well. Um, but I've been working at the bar for about five years. I've done every single position in the bar you can think of, from hosting to bar backing to um, bartending at the main bar mm. for about a year and a half, and apprenticing and curating at Bar Jackalope, and now I'm the manager there. Um, so everything that I learned about whiskey was from working at that bar. Um, I'm lucky enough to work at one of the best single spirit bars in the entire planet. It's you know, amazing, by the Seven way. Seven Grand is an, an institution, for yeah. lack of a better word. You know, people come from all over the world to check out our whiskey. And we've been able to replicate such an institution in other uh, locations as well. So if you guys are listening in Austin, Texas, in Denver, Colorado, or in San Diego, California, we have Seven Grands at those locations as well. So I encourage you to go over there and check them out because all of our bar staff across the board are... 
being molded and curated into the best whiskey experts you can possibly meet. Um, Seven Grand as a culture and a lot of our other single spirit bars as well are really focused on education. So if you guys are in any of those cities, I would highly encourage you to go visit your Seven Grand, you know, because as a culture, our bar culture for our company, uh, we're called Pouring with Heart. We really focus on giving our employees and our our guests the best education possible. You know, we're curating the next best whiskey enthusiast coming up. So you can start out as a bar back at seven grand and potentially become a brand ambassador or start something of your own, you know? So it's definitely one of those places where you go to learn. And we're all very enthusiastic about it. Everything I learned was at the bar. The only way you're going to learn about whiskey is by sheer curiosity. 100%. Yeah, you can take a course and you can pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to become a bourbon steward. But if you're enthusiastic enough and curious enough, you just do the research, go to your local bar, ask your bartender questions, and just sip through the wall and take detailed notes. And that's, you know, by the way, that's... Everything you say is, is, and I'm just telling this to the audience 100% true because I think that was the one thing that I love about Bar Jackalope, specifically when the first time I met you, I think I met you and also um, Pedro, Pedro, my co-curator. You guys, I mean, that's the one thing that I look for is that so many people out there are whiskey experts, and but they have like this highbrow type of like mm-hmm. way of talking. I'm not that person. I'm yeah. like the average person. I love whiskey and I want to know more about it because it tastes good, it feels good, and I like the fact that we can we can talk and I want to have a conversation. I don't want to be lectured. By the way, just so you guys know, Stephanie is like hardcore. She knows her facts. Like she is amazing. <laughs> she can tell you stories while she's pouring. And <laughs> and really that's what I loved about like when I first asked you, you were just so very informative and in a way where I understood what you were telling me. And even if I didn't, you took your time to explain everything. And I'm glad that seventh and grand, you have a family and there's actually, like you said, institution, and there's yeah. this like, amazing place where people who like whiskey can go and, and feel not judged, feel that they can ask questions and that you're going to get information, like real information and not something that someone's ad libbing. Like, I think I know this or making it up as they or making it up because sometimes that's what happens. Like bartenders just for, you know, they'll do it for the extra cash or extra tip, right? They'll try to like embellish, embellish. Yeah, exactly. Um, things that are not true. And then you go out there and you, and you start quoting, you start saying all this stuff like who told you? Well, a bartender, and then yeah. people look at you, well, that bartender wasn't telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's very important. I think especially now with the whiskey industry, mm-hmm. that is, I feel like it's just getting bigger and more enthusiasts are actually um, oh, yeah, are, are becoming more, uh, there's more enthusiasts on, on the, I guess, out well, there the now. Well, the thing is about whiskey, it's just that it has, it's seemingly at this point limitless in its combinations. So when you're talking about things like mezcal or... Um, that's very terroir driven. It's based on a strain, oh, is it really? but when you're, it's more comparable to wine. But when you're talking about whiskey, you have to think about. I always say there's about four key things that you need to think about when you're when you're drinking whiskey okay. and why there are so many different variations of it. You got to think about the grain that you're using. Okay. You got to think about the water source that you're using. Right. You got to talk about the fermentation process. Right. You got to talk about distillation. Okay. And then lastly, you want to talk about maturation. Okay. So. Those five things, there are multiple ways to vary those five steps that could ultimately change the flavor of your distillate. So that's why there's so many variations. Like when you're talking about mezcal, people don't age mezcal. They have a way that they cook it. They distill it, and that's what gets put into the bottle. It's really? Like, it's like a two, three-step thing. You oh, know? wow. You cultivate your agave. You, you dig an earthen pit. You distill uh, two times at least just to get any of those solubles out. 
And then you put that in a bottle. So mezcal is a direct representation of the land. You know, same thing with wine. It's all about the grapes. It's all about the grapes. But when it comes to whiskey, you're thinking about those five key things right there. And then lastly, you talk about terroir as well. So at least there's six things that you can potentially cover when you're talking about the whiskey process. So those combination of six different things, that's why the whiskey world, in my opinion, is so abundant and ever evolving. Because, you know, you have these wonderful craft distilleries uh, popping up in America as well. And they're using their local grain, which makes their whiskeys completely unique. So I think that's why the trend, not the trend, but, you know, the whiskey industry is just growing so much because there are so many ways to vary and put your own thumbprint, your own DNA into the whiskey by altering one of those six things that we just talked that we just that I just listed so it's like you're almost almost in the process of it's almost like chemistry really yeah absolutely um whiskey making is all science so if we're talking about whiskey 101 we have to start with a beer all whiskey starts out as a beer no matter really absolutely if you wanted to buy a six case of bud lights and order a, a a little copper pot still online you could distill that Bud Light into whiskey. No 100%. way. See way. I'm telling you. Really? Can, <laughs> so can you explain exactly? So what do you mean like everything starts off as like first it starts off as, 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 a, as beer. a beer? So a beer essentially is going to be water. Okay. Whatever grain you're using. So let's talk about grain here. You can use corn, rye, wheat, barley, unmalted or malted. Um, literally anything that you can mash into and expose their fermentable sugars for the yeast to feed off okay. of, you can distill and make it into whiskey. I know that there's a distillery in Chicago called Koval that uses a little bit of um, quinoa in their really? four grain mix. Yeah, absolutely. You, as long as you find a grain that has enough fermentable sugars for the yeast to eat. So the thing is, it's like it doesn't matter what grain it is. As long as you can ferment it into a beer you can distill it off and, to make, and make it into whiskey. Ah. So at its base, okay. whiskey starts out as a beer. So you take your grain. Let's take bourbon, for example. Okay. Bourbon legally has to be 51% or more corn. Okay. And then the other 49%, they can use whatever they want. You know, That's the thumbprint that I was telling you about. Okay, right. So legally 51% or more corn for bourbon, but you can use a wide array of other things to supplement that other 49%. Think about it. That's almost, that's almost half, you know? Right, right, yeah. So... Uh, Something that's really popular for uh, bourbons is using wheat as Mm -hmm. their flavor grain, much like Maker's Mark does. And the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, you know, everything from the Buffalo Trace distillery is using wheat, winter wheat in particular, winter wheat meaning it's only from that season. Um, But you can add anything else. You can add rye, you can add malted barley. The whiskey that I brought for you today, Basil Hayden, it follows a traditional mash bill. So it has corn rye and malted barley that's a beautiful trio that's an easy way to make a bourbon but the thing is you change the identity of your bourbon by switching up those percentages so are you using 35 percent rye and then the rest malted barley or using 35 percent malted barley and the rest rye you know so that's when you can start tweaking things um so we talk about grain Right. Grain, so you take any grain that you want. And this is during the fermentation process? This is, yeah, this is at the base of it. So you get, you, you choose your grain, okay. you choose your mash bill, that's what okay. we call it, the combination of grains that you want to use. You want to use 35% rye, 10% malted barley, and the rest corn. That's your mash bill. That's essentially the recipe. So once you figure out your mash bill, you're going to take your grain, you're going to put it in a big fermentation tub with hot water uh-huh. and yeast. Okay. So yeast is very important as well. So yeast essentially is just 
bacteria that exist. So I like talking about yeast because yeast functions a lot like humans do. Think about who you were when you were 13 years old and the kind of clothes you wore and the kind of music (laughs) you listened to. Right. And then fast track that and think about who you were when you were 18 and how that changed. And think about who you are now. You kept reinventing yourself, right? Right. Your identity, the way that you dress, the way that you talked. Yeast functions in the exact same way. The longer that you let that yeast live, the more it'll keep changing its flavor profiles. Interesting. So a normal fermentation process to get the alcohol content that you want doesn't need to run more than 48 to like 90 hours. You can get the desired alcohol content you want after a a fermentation that's short. But if you really want to change the DNA of your whiskey... You can let that fermentation process go longer, as long as there's enough sugar for the yeast to be feeding off of. So what's happening in that bubbling kind of cauldron of grain, hot water, and yeast is that the yeast is eating the sugars out of the grain, farting out CO2, (laughs) and pissing out ethanol. Oh, right, 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 yes. And ethanol is what we know as alcohol. Alcohol, right. So that's just science. It doesn't sound pretty, but... That's exactly what's happening inside of that fermentation tank. And and you can tweak this. That's what's so oh, fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. So, like I said, so there's there's sugar inside of corn, mm-hmm. there's sugar inside of rye, there's sugar inside of barley. So once you mash that all together with your hot water and you add your yeast, your yeast is feeding off that and like I was telling you, producing ethanol. And that's what alcohol is. So once you get your fermentation to where you want it, it's totally up to you. Um, totally up to the master distiller at hand. Uh, you take it off this. You take it up out of the fermentation tank, and you put it through a still. So either a copper pot still right. or a column still. If you're using a column still, it runs continuously. You can kind of keep that bad boy running day in and day out. And that's the distillation process that we're getting that's, into. We're correct? getting into the distillation okay. process now. So now that the so now that the beer has been made, mm-hmm. the the ferment the yeast has fed off of the grain and produced, let's say, a beer that's. Six to seven percent out. So like your average beer. Your average beer, six okay. to seven percent by volume. Okay. So once you've gotten your beer to that desired state, you can take it to the distillation process now. So when you're running that beer through a still, what it's doing is it's removing the alcohol vapors from the solubles. Oh, so okay. those alcohol vapors rise faster through the still and then cool faster as well. So that's what ends up on the other end of your still. So think about the separation of alcohol vapors from the solid. Like think about all the grain that's in there as well. So the alcohol vapors rise higher than the solubles do. So that'll go straight through the still and cool down the other end and drip out as clear whiskey. Wow. And what happens to the remaining to the, to the, well, you can distill it. Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty much, that's pretty much spent. Oh, okay. I mean, it depends on some of the distilleries. Like I know Maker's Mark for a fact, they, uh, some of their, uh, their grain that they have, they'll give it back to other farms and use it as, um, use it as food for some livestock. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's and you, good. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely. Really good. Yeah, and yeah. I mean like that kind of stuff, depending on what you have, like if you're distilling at home, you can use it as, um, compost. Right. Yeah. Okay. So things like that. I mean, it can definitely be reused again, um, and it's up to the distillery whether, what they want to do with it or not. So uh, I don't mean to cut yeah, you no, off. Please. So um, by, by the way, I'm you're really like thank you so much for explaining it because it's so you know trying to explain whiskey is like reading it it can be confusing and mm-hmm. the fact that you're explaining it and you're it really you're painting a picture for us. Um, so after this, after the distillation, mm-hmm. then it goes into the uh, this. So usually into maturation, but for most whiskeys, there's going to be a double distillation happening. Okay. Um, 
you know, that's just how it is. You make sure, like, I want to say, like, the majority of all whiskey productions are doing a double distillation. You're just making sure that you're refining that spirit. When you're talking about, I mean, Irish whiskey, they do a triple distillation. So at that point, you're stripping a lot of the oils, and you're just leaving, like, a really beautiful base ethanol for the wood to do most of the work. So the maturation is that we're all, like, everybody gets a little bit more creative. Tell me more about, because I feel like that's the most interesting. I mean, everything is, but here's where everybody tries to play kind of, like, Yeah, absolutely. I would say, like, 60% of the flavor that's coming from your whiskey, if not more, is coming from the barrel that you're using. Now, is the color also due to the barrel? Absolutely. So whiskey, all whiskey, when it comes off of the still, is clear. We call it white dog. White dog. White dog, yeah. And it's basically, it's like moonshine, essentially. Well, it was the same, yeah, moonshine. It's just like moonshine. Um, so the color that you get from your whiskey, um, it comes all from the barrel. There are some distilleries around the globe that are legally allowed to use like 0.99 undisclosed ingredients. And, you know, it's a big, it's been a big tradition in the history of whiskey to use coloring and additives. I mean, even though the brand doesn't necessarily have to be completely transparent about it. If you ask one of their brand reps, they have to say yes. Oh, they have to no. disclose. Exactly. They have to disclose. Now, yeah. um, is there, I'm assuming, is there like a certain like general whiskey in the past? How has it been done originally? Like as far as like the maturation of, of the whiskey, like there's a three year minimum, right? That these, the whiskey has to be in the cast for. In order yeah. For, for... So every, uh, every type of whiskey has its own specifications that okay. they follow. Um, so for bourbon, uh, it has to be aged, well, legally, for it to be considered a bourbon, has to be 51% or more corn and aged for a minimum of two years in new charred American oak barrels. Okay. That's just bourbon across the board. If you're talking about Kentucky straight bourbon, it has to be like, again, 51% or more corn, aged for a minimum of four years in new charred American oak barrels, and it can't be bottled at under 80 proof, and it can't be put into the cask at under 120 so bourbon is one of the most highly regulated categories of whiskey. Um, and that's just, why is that? I'm sorry. I didn't even no, that's you. totally fine. That's totally fine. We'll get back to that, uh, why it's one of the most highly regulated okay. categories of whiskey. Um, but whiskey doesn't start in America. Right. Whiskey starts in Ireland. Right. I always like to start in Ireland, when, especially when I'm doing flights at the Bar Jackalope, um, because some of the first recorded uh, history of whiskey making has been found in Ireland. So the word whiskey, as we know it now, comes from a Gaelic phrase that is called ishkibetha, which is water Our of life. life yeah. So ishki, ishki, whiskey is the word that we use now. Um, so we know that, you know that the Irish learned distillation practices from the Moors. So Ireland is really rich in history. Ireland used to be one of the biggest producers of whiskey in the entire world. Um, They were everybody's competition, but there was a lot of things that plagued them, Um, a colonization, a war, a famine, and, you know, just bad business, essentially. Um, But like I said, that water of life, Ishkabetha, when we're talking about Irish whiskey, they're always using barley, so we talked about bourbon. They're all about the corn. But in Ireland and in Scotland, they're all about the malted barley. That's okay. what grows in abundance in those countries. So you're using the grain that's readily available to you. When we're talking about Japanese whiskey, mm-hmm. they don't have the kind of terrain that grows sacred grains like we do. So they're importing all their malted barley from Ireland really? or Scotland. So they're not, they're not using like rice uh, for their... I mean, they can. Absolutely. There are some rice-based Japanese whiskeys, but anything from the Centauri and the Nika distilleries, they're importing the majority of their 
further green from Scotland. That's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like I said, so bourbon is highly regulated. Irish whiskey has to be triple distilled. That's their thing, and produced in Ireland. For Scotland, they have to use malted barley and age it for a minimum of three years legally in Scotland to be considered a Scotch. And Japan is a wild, wild west of whiskey. That they ain't got no exciting. regulations. Really? Yeah, they, they don't have no regulations in terms of what you can label as Japanese whiskey. They can get grain from anywhere in the world, but as long as it's Asian Japan for a minimum of two years... They can put a Japanese whiskey label on it, no problem. Wow. Yeah. So that's probably like, probably Japan right now is like, that's what's happening right now. There's probably a lot of up and coming distilleries. Yeah. Well, you know what? The thing is, is that what we've seen more of in terms of Japanese whiskeys are rice based distillates. They're kind of going back to their roots. And essentially what it is, it's like shochu or sake right, right, yeah, yeah. that's been aged in a barrel. Because, you know, Centauri and Nika, there's a huge shortages right now. So when we talk about Nika and Centauri, I mean, the grandfather of, you know, those distilleries arguably is Masataka Taketsuru, who is a, um, you know, a Japanese man from a family of sake makers after the First World War, like around 1919. He studied organic chemistry at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. So, he was obsessed with trying to learn how to make whiskey. So he knocked around at a lot of distillery doors, found one in Campbelltown. And the only reason he stayed there is because that facility had a microscope. He was obsessed with the science. Wow. And you know, and it really does come down to So science. yeah. And he, he studied there. He brought all of his stuff back to Japan and he opened up Centauri, you know? Um, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other components into that story, but right. just in layman's terms, he learned everything about whiskey making from Scotland. So a lot of the Japanese whiskeys from Centauri and Nika are made in a Scottish style for sure. So um, now, so now since we're on this topic now, I've seen uh, whiskey with a Y, mm-hmm. K-Y, and I've seen whiskey with a K-E-Y. Yeah. Now, does that have to do with the fact that they're from different regions, different places where it's origin? Because yeah. uh, can you explain? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, I just want to first start off by saying that if you're really worried about the E or the lack of an E in a whiskey, you're doing it wrong. You should just care about what's in that glass. Right, yeah. No, I just <laughs> so, noticed yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I know. But some people, like, I've had people get hung the fuck up really? on that E. You know? Just on that? <laughs> yeah, just on that. So they think like, it's like this a... tastes the fucking whiskey. They think like, it's like it's a... good, I promise. That's... Um, but there's, there's history behind that as well. So like I was mentioning before, um, once upon a time, Ireland was the fucking powerhouse of the whiskey makers. You know, ev- like, I want to say 70% of the whiskey that was being drunk in the world at that time was coming out of Ireland. Wow. But... I mean, that's cool. So, so, and at that point, everyone spelled their whiskey without, without an E. So we got to think about whiskey happens in Ireland and in Scotland before it happens in America. Okay. So in Ireland and Scotland, Ireland's dom- Ireland is dominating, but at this point they're both using it sans the E. Okay. Without the E. Okay. And then there was a legal act that passed where Scottish distillers were able to use a blended scotch. So blended scotch became legal instead of doing it batch by batch. And they were allowed to use grain whiskey and malted and single malt whiskey okay. blended together. And the Irish were like, hell no, that's not real whiskey. That's like not how you do it. If you want to make whiskey, you've got to use barley only. Like, who are you to fucking use grain and blend it with your malted <laughs> barley? Like, that is fucking blasphemy. So as a clapback, they put the E in there because theirs is exceptional whiskey. Oh. It was a marketing tactic. It was just like, you need to drink our whiskey. It has the E in it because it's exceptional. We're not blending it with grain whiskey. We're still doing it the legit way and only using barley for us. Like So that's where it kind of came about. And then fast forward when we have um, the Irish and Scottish immigrants coming in after the Revolutionary War in mm-hmm. America – 
you know, there's some distilleries like Old Forester does it, Dickel does it, Maker's Mark does it. They have the whiskey written without the E. Yeah, and essentially that. it's because they're paying homage to their ancestors. Because after the Revolutionary War, the American government didn't have the means to pay their soldiers for their work. So as a solution, they were like, hey, you know, setting up here in Kentucky, whatever. They're like, we can give you this 10, piece, this 10 acre piece of property. You can build a house and you can be a landowner. And that was their way of paying back their soldiers. But these guys didn't know what to do with their grain except for eat it. They were just eating their corn. They didn't know how to distill. It wasn't until the Irish and Scottish immigrants came over with their little copper pot stills, this beautiful, disruptive piece of technology. And they're like, hey, I know it's not barley, but did you know that you can make some fucking whiskey out of this grain? No like I freaking way. Yeah, yeah. That's like drunk history 101 right there. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's crazy. I yeah. didn't I, I had no idea. So that's you gotta think about the timeline that way. Right. You know, it's just like all of the action was happening in Ireland and Scotland because, like I said, the Moors, the Moors that were in that on that side of the globe taught them how to distill. That's where, like, I mean, at the base of everything, the Moors were the first people who knew how to distill. But the first whiskey uh, records were found in Ireland. Um, so all of that kind of translated into the new America. Like I said, all after the Revolutionary War, all those immigrants coming into Kentucky, um, they were the ones who showed the Americans that like, hey, you don't have to just eat this. You can also get pissed drunk. That's so <laughs> crazy. So I'm assuming that, so that's what, so now we're entering a point where variation starts to come into, mm-hmm. into, into the fold. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that there's malt, grain, and blended, correct? Yeah. So grain essentially is anything that's not barley. Anything that's not barley. And mm-hmm. malt is like... Malted barley. Malted barley. And then blend is just a mixture. A mixture of both. Now, do people prefer certain... Because are certain types of whiskey sweeter or more like smoky? Or is that just a preference of how everything is done? Well, the thing about um, the thing about whiskey is that there's no wrong answers when it comes to whiskey. Mm-hmm. Our ability to taste and smell is based off of our memories. So say I was sitting down with someone from, let's say, Japan. Right. And we had the same whiskey in front of us. And I smelled it and I was like, oh, wow, this smells like blueberries. That guy next to me is going to be like, what the fuck is a blueberry? (laughs) Like, it's not something that they, it's not something that's part of their repertoire. You know, it's just like we have different, different ways of smelling and, you know, tasting the world. Like, you know, we only have so many senses to understand this world with. And, you know, when you grow up in a different time and place, you know, it's just like that affects the way that you taste your whiskey. So preference is completely subjective. Um, But when we taste together, you know, it's uh, it's an opportunity for us to understand, you know, ourselves and what we like and what others like and how they, you know, approach and view mm-hmm. that world or whiskey, you know, because we can have opposing things and they can the, the power of suggestion is really strong. I can like smell a glass and be like, oh, it smells like peanut butter cups. Huh? And you're like, oh, yeah, I think I get that. Yeah. Um, but. When you drink together with your friends, like at the bar Jackalope, like how we do, we encourage people to come together because it's good to have that kind of tension. You know, it's just like, I love this whiskey. And the person sitting next to you is like, oh, why? That fucking sucked. And it teaches you more about yourself. You're like, oh, I guess I like flavors that are a little bit more, you know, corn based. Right. Like, say you're like a big fan of bourbon and your friend's like, oh, I can't do this bourbon. But then they try an unpeated scotch and they're like, oh, this is the spot. This, this is home. money. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like when you taste and when you taste through whiskeys, try to identify like, what is it you like about that whiskey? Is it the grain? Is it corn, rye, the barley that's standing out to you? Is it the barrel? Is it, is it a sherry barrel? Is it a mm-hmm. rum barrel? Is it a cognac barrel that it's being aged in? You have to be able to identify those little things. So when you go through your whiskey, when you go, th- when you're going through your whiskey journey, 
I know it's hard for some beginners. We always like to say to start out with some food words, but if that's kind of hard for you to kind of grasp, think about colors or think about memories. Like, oh, this smells like one day, like, I mean, it could be a bad memory too. It's like, I remember I came home one day and my uncle was really drunk and I can't drink this whiskey because it, it reminds me of him, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Or it's just like, oh, I had this like incredible moment. Like we were sitting by a bonfire and we were just like all drinking this whiskey and that's what it reminds me of, you know? So it, yeah. can, it can be a time, a place, a color, a taste, you know? So it really, it really comes down to what your olfactory, your taste, mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, it's, 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 experience. it's an experience. It's a case-by-case -case basis. So, I mean, we have glasses in our hands right now. Let's go ahead and walk you through it. Yeah. So... I think um, I might need a little bit of... Yeah. Uh, if you can here, give me... Uh, Please do. So, guys, ladies and gentlemen, she brought Basil Hayden's. This is amazing. I, I think it's sweet. I mean, It's beautiful. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. And I love what you said. This is a perfect whiskey for an afternoon. Oh, yeah. It's an afternoon bourbon. Afternoon bourbon. So, a lot of the times when people are drinking whiskey, they make the grave mistake of just using their nose and it's kind of counterintuitive because because can we say like oh, okay nose the whiskey now but you're not really nosing the whiskey so what you want to avoid doing is sticking your nose in that glass and just whiffing through your nose like never do that and if you do do that and smell something i'm gonna call bullshit because <laughs> and you see people like that oh at yeah bars. Like, oh, they're like, just... oh i'm getting this and i'm getting that and it's just like fucking bullshit and i'm like all you're getting is astringency because it's true you know like when when you see wine drinkers you see them kind of swirl their glass very aggressively you don't really want to do that too much with whiskey because it has such a high alcohol content so if you're just sh agitating the shit out of that whiskey you're just going to release the you know the the um you're just going to release like the astringency right, essentially. Yeah. So it's a little counterintuitive. You do want to put your nose deep in that glass, but after you do that, you want to let your mouth do all the work. So you're going to part your lips and breathe in very gently through your mouth and not through your nose. Okay. So when you do that, it mm. actually cools the alcohol vapors against the back of your palate and you can actually kind of taste that whiskey you're before right. it even touches your lips. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead and spit out some food words. What are you guys getting on this whiskey? Maple. Yeah, maple. I'm getting like vanilla. like like wheat like pancakes. Yeah, sure. yeah, vanilla. What about you? What are you getting over there, Mr. Producer? Mr. Producer, Bo. You smell the wood, so the you're wood. getting oaky. So you're getting an oaky quality from it. Okay, wow. fantastic. See, on this basil Hayden, I get like a little bit of a floral quality. Yeah. Uh, so so rye is really grassy floral, um, and a lot of people don't understand that bubblegum is actually a floral quality. So I get a little bit of bubblegum on this. I've as had well. that experience where I've smelled whiskey and it smells like. And bubble. then go ahead and tap it over your tongue and see how that experience changes for you. You know, sometimes our minds will tricky. It, our minds will be tricky. Sometimes you might love the way a whiskey smells and hate the way it tastes. You know. That's so good. That's so nice. That's, that's like really, said, really It's super easy sipping. Like the back end on that whiskey is all the rye. You know, it's like that hay, like yeah, yeah. floral kind of grassy thing. Tip of your tongue is caramel, but the way it finishes at the back, super grassy. And it's, and it's almost like oil. Like, what a is little it? Oily. 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 Like, yeah, a little yeah, oily. Yeah, I mean, the thing, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. When you think about whiskey, you got to think about texture as well. You know? Yeah, it has like that little, um, yeah. like A little yeah. bit of oiliness. That's totally fine. Textures of whiskey is complete, completely uh, varying. Like, there's a lot of bourbons that can be very drying because they've been in, an in the oak for so long. You know, it's just like very tannic and it'll just like dry you out completely. I I've had that experience too. But some people love that. Some people, they're like, I want the oakiest whiskey. I want the oakiest whiskey you have back here. Like, I want 
the fucking stump in my mouth. Like really, so people love that. Like I said, it's all it's all subjective. It's just like you when you go through your whiskey journey, try to identify the things that you like, and then explore that even more. So I have uh, one one question to also know. Um, what's this whole cast strength thing that that I hear? So cast strength essentially means that the whiskey hasn't been diluted with any water before it's gone into bottling. It's straight from the barrel into the bottle. So is that That's, is that is it like a pricier or is that I feel like cast usually, strength? Like, usually cast strength whiskeys are going to be a little bit a little bit. Uh, a little bit um, up on the price for sure. I mean, unless the bottle says cast strength or barrel proof on it, every mm. single whiskey you've had in your life has had the addition of water to it. Okay. So when you're talking about making a consistent product, I mean, this is what the master distiller does, you know, making sure you have a consistent product. So say you order a Jack Daniels number seven at a bar in California, you know exactly how it tastes. Say you're in Ireland and you order a Jack Daniels number seven, it has to taste exactly the same. So the master distillers have this fucking beautiful way of working and they take barrels that are aged the same amount of time, but barrels that are sitting in a rack house, that's what we call a whiskey aging warehouse, a rack house. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different uh, temperature variances in the rack house. Obviously the higher you go, if you're talking about Kentucky or Tennessee, um, it's much hotter on the top levels of the rack house. So barrels are an organic piece of matter. They breathe and they move and they con- uh, they contract and they expand. So barrels on the rack house that are on the top floor expand more and then the whiskey seeps into that wood a little oh. bit more. So there's more whiskey to barrel contact, whereas the barrels at the bottom floor of the rack house are much cooler and don't expand so much during the day. So even though you lay down two barrels at the exact same time, if one's on the bottom, one's on the top, after seven years, they're going to taste wildly different. So you still have the same age on that whiskey, but like I said, they're going to be wildly different. So what the master distiller does is take those barrels that have all these variances and blend them together to a consistent product. And making a consistent product also means adding water to it. So adding water to your whiskey does a lot of different things. It can open up some really beautiful flavors. You can add a drop or two of water. Say you have cast strength whiskey in your glass at home right now. Take a straw or a water drop or whatever you have, add a couple drops in. Swish it around a little bit. It'll start to open up some flavors that you might have not noticed the first time around. Um, that's what water does. It exposes different mole- molecules. So like Jack Daniels number seven, for me, it tastes like banana cream pie. But when you try the cast strength version of Jack Daniels, you don't get that banana at all. The addition of water helps that flavor come out. So, and the thing with whiskey is, is that if you add water, you can't take it out. So say you add two drops of water and you're like, oh, this is tasting really good. And then you add four more and then you're like, oh, this actually doesn't taste that good anymore but you can keep adding water and get it back to that kind of like whiskey homeostasis where you like that flavor again so it happens it's a gradual thing you can add some water love the taste go a little bit further hate the taste but then go a little bit further after that and then mellow it back out again so every whiskey you have like i said it's going to be blended together with a bunch of barrels of the same age to make a consistent product that's very interesting because I recently did a, a tour of a uh, distillery in Israel and mm. they took out, it was the whiskey from the cask and they- They're using a whiskey thief. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they actually asked us, they told us if you wanted to put a couple of drops of water because mm-hmm. it's, it's a little, they were like, it's a little strong. Yeah. It's a little strong. I mean, and, cask strength whiskey is going to be anywhere in between like 110 to 133. So, I mean, when I was in Kentucky last week, I mean, we were drinking straight from the barrel, 127, 128 proof stuff. And that was a happy fucking camper. I know. I was pretty lit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. I, was I mean, less. yeah. I mean, it's- it's like the thing is, um, like I said, we were talking about the addition of water and stuff, and it's just like you're just going to smell different things with or without the addition of water. You can smell stuff. You can smell things at cast strength 
that you can't smell at uh, when it's been brought down to proof and vice versa. Well, that kind of sucks because there's, there's pro- let's say like you tasted something at cast, cast strength mm-hmm. and then you go and you tell your friends, oh, this is amazing. You have to, you have to, it tasted like this and they try it. They try the final product mm-hmm. and it's a different thing. I mean, well, I mean, at the, at the end of it, at the end of the day, it's going to have some differences for sure. But that's I mean, you got to think about it. The history of whiskey, people weren't like really releasing cast strength stuff. Right. It's only like right now that we have the ability where like people want to try stuff that's at castring you know well, it's very artisanal i feel like it gives it that kind of like oh it yeah it's just untouched, different variances you know? but you know like at the, at the end of the day to be the devil's advocate here there's some people who don't want to drink whiskey that's high proof like that What's they strong? want it mellowed out how yeah. many times have you gone to a bar and seen people dilute their whiskey i, you know, I don't have paid i want it over rocks i want it on right. ice yes. i want it with sprite i want it with coca-cola thing is is that you should drink your whiskey the way you want to drink it. And sometimes people don't want to drink cast strength. They're like, fuck that. I'm like, I don't want to do 133. And it's just like, <laughs> I'd rather go with something that's at 80 proof. So it's right. like, there's there's a bigger market for people who want to drink stuff that's been brought down to proof versus the stuff that's at cast strength. And Only that, like the true people that are like fucking like into it are going to be like, give me the cast strength. Yeah. Right. And even then some people might, like you said, they might not like, like that. Yeah. Now, uh, what's it, one advice you'd give our, our listeners when they're starting off for whiskey, a couple of little things that they should keep in mind mm. just so they can go out there and, 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 you know, just kind of like put, you know, just be more. Uh... I would say to never judge the whiskey on the okay. first sip. Um, just because when you drink whiskey, every whiskey you're going to have is going to be over 40% by volume. And once you take that first taste, your tongue is going to be kind of in shock. It's going to be like, whoa, what are we, what are we doing? What's, wh- what, what'd you just do to me? <laughs> so it's like, you gotta have, you gotta Whiskey takes a long time to make, so you should take your time drinking it as well. Beautiful. Especially like as that. a whiskey drink as a beginning whiskey drinker. You gotta let yourself train your palate because the first time you sip whiskey, you might not like it. It's like um it's like coffee. Did you like the first sip of coffee? I don't think so. No, no one Unless it had a lot of sugar. Sip. Exactly. No one liked their first sip of coffee. Same thing with whiskey. I mean, it's just like people either have an affinity or a liking to specific spirits for different reasons. But you just got to be able to explore and not judge the whiskey on the first sip. That's what I'll always say. Make sure that you're hydrating in between. Uh, hydrating in between. Um, maybe open like a little nibble of food or something like some nuts or some fruits or some chocolates, you know, and let your palate kind of open up to different flavors. Because um, if you can't get anything from the whiskey alone, take a little bite of food and then take another sip and let your palate be open to how that how that can change. You know, it's just like if you introduce fatty things into your into your palate while you're drinking whiskey, it'll stick to those fat molecules inside of your tongue, you know, and it'll linger and it'll it's like it's a science. It really is. So never judge it on the first sip. Take your time with it. Don't shoot it. And then once you identify why you don't like it, then move on to a different category of whiskey. I always say try the four corners of the whiskey world. Try an American whiskey, an Irish whiskey, a Japanese whiskey, and a Scotch whiskey. Nice. So you can kind of identify like, oh, like I tried a Scotch from Isla. I had Laphroaig and I hated it. It was way too smoky. Smoky, yeah. But you're like, I tried this Japanese whiskey from Nika that is using Scotland barley and some peat as well. And I like that more because it's a different, very, like you have to be able to identify those small, minute things, you know, it's just like, and and it goes back to the end of the day, those basics. Think about the grain. Do you like the corn flavor? Do you like that barley flavor? Do you like that rye flavor? Do you like that wheat flavor? Then think about maturation. It's just like, do I like it because it's new charred American oak barrel? Do I like it because it's a sherry barrel? Do I like it because it's a rum barrel finish? And then talk about age. 
it's just like, oh, like this four-year-old wasn't really that good, but the 16-year-old was way mellowed out and it was really nice and easy for me to drink. A lot of people think a lot of the time like an older age statement means like the whiskey's going to be more robust. Mm-hmm. It's actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's going to be way more mellowed out. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say to think about those things going forward for sure and like identify those little minute things. Take notes. Take detailed notes. Revisit whiskeys that you thought you hated. And then um, taste whiskeys blind. Um, that's something that I always say. Um, let your friends pour your whiskey and um, don't ask them what it is. And let the integrity of the whiskey in the glass speak for itself. Because a lot of the time, I found that people romance labels true you know true. it's just like it goes back to the jack daniels thing that i was telling you earlier so we have a single barrel of jack daniels at cast strength exclusive to seven grand at our bar and at bar jackalope and um when people tell me they're like oh i fucking hate jack daniels this and this and that i put it in blind in their flight and i want to tell you 99 percent of the time that i've poured that whiskey for someone they're like this is incredible what is this and i was like booyah bitch it's jd (laughs) and it's just like no and i'm like yes so you know like like i said our mind will trick us uh sometimes your palate will be off some days you know it's just like depends like if you're a smoker or if like you know like it, it just there's a bunch of little different things like if you have like a weird sinus thing or like you know that you have like a deviated septum like you have to just be prepared for the fact that you might have off days with your palate. And that happens to us all the time. You know, the best way to reset is not drinking for a few days, you know, making sure you're eating a lot of clean food and then like, you know, getting like plenty of like plenty of air, fresh air, you know, like that's the easiest way to reset your palate and stuff. Don't drink heavily the night before you want to do a tasting. That's like, you want to take detailed notes on or something like that. That's beautiful advice. Um, I wish, I wish I had that advice when I was, I mean, I'm still, I'm still new to it, but that's very great advice because We've all had those horrible experiences mm. with certain whiskeys, especially when we were younger, you know. Mm-hmm. And But listen, you have a podcast of your own as well, correct? Yeah, we do. So our company, uh, Pouring With Heart, um, I, so at Seven Grand, we're a single spirit bar. At Bar Jackalope, single spirit bar, meaning that we focus on one spirit. We focus on whiskey. But we also have a rum bar and a mezcal bar. Correct, yeah. And we host... Um, community forums every single week where we invite brand ambassadors and master distillers to come in and educate us on their lines of whiskey. And we call ourselves the Spirit Guide Society podcast. Right. So it's not it's it's not as formal as this is. We don't like sit down face to face and do a one-on-one. What we do is we just strap a mic on whoever's presenting that day and we produce a podcast out of the live recordings. So that approach is really dynamic because you kind of get feedback from the audience as well. So you can potentially get a group of 10 friends it's less like you buy a bottle you buy a bottle you buy a bottle let's come together let's sit down and let's taste through this whiskey with you guys so it's like it's possible for you to do it at home listening to one of our podcasts a lot of the stuff that we have is readily available in your it is and you guys are very informative by the way i love how you guys present that and that's how i think i I met you and that's how it all came to you came in you came came into the whiskey society because i was originally a rum uh i was member i was a member of the rum society and then yes and then i got the email recently for the uh the exceptional whiskey and that's Mm -hmm. how it all started and by the way for everybody out there if you guys really want to have that amazing experience go visit stephanie and Mm -hmm. and uh uh 
Pedro. I want to yeah, call him Pedro. Peter, but he, it's Pedro. It is Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Pedro and, and, you know, just let, let them know that you heard, um, you heard her on whiskey sex talk and she, you will be more than willing to. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I love it. I mean, it's just like, it, it's, it makes my job easy when the whiskey's just so damn good. I know. You know? <laughs> now, if people want to follow you, um, how can they, if they want to follow yeah, you on Instagram? Yeah. So if you want to go on Instagram and listen to our podcast, um, like I said, I think it's one of the most educational whiskey, it is. rum and mezcal podcasts out there. We're doing it across the board. Um, like I said, we have master distillers and like some of the most reputable brand ambassadors come in, literally break everything, everything. down yeah. from history to fermentation, distillation, maturation, and everything in between. Um, that podcast is called Spirit Guide Society Podcast. We're available anywhere that you can listen to any podcast. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at Spirit Guide SOC. Um, for me personally, uh, as a personal Instagram, I'll do a little shout out if you want. Yeah, go ahead. It's going to be at at Supsteph, so S-U-P under, underscore S-T-E-P-H. Nice. And you can follow me on my whiskey adventures there as well. I know, and it's and it's always great to follow other people, especially people that know their yeah. stuff, because you know your shit, girl. I will say that my like, personal Instagram isn't, like, super whiskey-focused, but you'll find me fucking around with some yeah. shit on well, there. Well, that's good, sure. and, and, you know, and, and people can send you messages, because I oh, feel yeah, like you're very questions. informative, yeah, absolutely. and I trust what you're going to say. Yeah. I think I, I can come to you for anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have no problem admitting that I don't know something. Like I said, just to kind of wrap fine. around from what we said at the beginning, like there are so many different things to consider when you're making whiskey. Those five key things that we talked about. Right. Um, grain, just to repeat them again, grain, water source, fermentation, distillation, maturation. Um, God, I forgot what I was going on there. The basil Hayden hit me. Oh, nice. well, that, that means that that's a good type of whiskey. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today's uh, whiskey sex talk. Stay tuned for next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs>